Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Uh, what a week. Yeah. What a couple of oh my weeks. my God. A couple of weeks. Uh, I'm, yeah. I, I continue to uh, just, like, be fully heartbroken and, and just, like, stunned at the level of cruelty that runs this entire country, the West, like I, I, it is, it's just so unfathomable to me, so bananas to me that we can uh, be living in a situation where a clear genocide is taking place and people are equivocating about it and in ways that like obviously make no sense. And, you know, it's impacting everyday conversations. Like, you know, the fog of war stuff is also really confusing and, yeah. uh, and it just, like, the common sense that we should use in those moments feels like it's really, really tainted by really heavy propaganda campaigns. And I just uh, am, uh, I, I, I feel very, very scared uh, about uh, what is uh, about to be lost. Yeah, it is definitely the first time in my adult life. I remember living through this around the shock and awe campaign in Iraq and around the invasion in Afghanistan after 9-11. But I, I, I remain very surprised at how easy it has been for the political establishment in Canada. And I mean, we can talk about any Western country, but let's stick to Canada to so uniformly change the truth of what is so plainly obvious. You know, I mean, you can use the bombing of the al hospital as the example, but it's like, it, it, it's so far beyond that, where it's like, you know, occupation is freedom and, and bombing is self-defense. And this is a just uh, crusade on the behalf of Israel, even though the, the, the language being used by the leadership is, is, is so racist and so fascist and so disgusting. And still you have Justin Trudeau affirming and Francois Legault and Scott Moe and the entire legislative assembly of Nova Scotia, uh, you know, affirming Israel's right to do this couched in the language of self defense, it feels really disorienting. And I suspect that people listening to this episode are feeling similarly disoriented. Yeah, uh, disoriented and dystopian. I think you are the only journalist um, that I've seen consistently uh, making sense of the scale Mm. of the attack. And uh, and continuing to to push like you need to understand this attack in context of a city that that you um, that you are familiar with. And I've I've heard you bring up Montreal several times as a as a as kind of like a an analogy to the the space uh, we're talking about. You need to understand this 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 barrage, this siege, this attack um, on civilians in the context of how many, what, how much weaponry, how many bombs they're using compared to the amount of bombs that were used in other conflicts that lasted mm-hmm. years. You're the only one uh, in Canada that I've seen do this. And, and that to me is like, how can you be the only one? <laughs> 
I don't know. How 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 can, how is that possible? How is that happening? It seems like the most obvious way to talk about this because if we if we get into the you know the emotions and the death and it's so hard to see clearly because it's so sad I mean that that's all very normal ways to deal with war and and anybody everybody should have those kinds of reactions but for me when I hear things like well Israel has a right to to defend itself and it's like sorry the IDF them not not Hamas not uh, Doctors Without Borders, not Germany, not the United States. The IDF has said that they bought, they dropped 6,000 bombs in six days on Gaza. And knowing that the heaviest bombardment was actually this past weekend, uh, that has probably risen to something like 8,000 bombs, right? And that is more, 6,000 is more than NATO dropped on Libya for the entire engagement, and like on top of the fact that the majority of people that live in Gaza are children, on top of the fact that the majority of people um, in Gaza, well, most of the people, all the people in Gaza can't leave, that there's 2.2 million people. It's the most densely populated, one of the most densely populated places on the planet. And Israel has total control over their movements and is bombing them more to more than, 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 than the United States dropped bombs on Afghanistan in a whole year. If we don't put it into these terms, then those emotional kinds of responses that we're hearing all the time from our politicians are allowed to make more sense. But when we use the the facts and we're like, wait, 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 then someone like Brian Lilly, a Toronto Sun columnist who's been trying to get some number of students from Toronto Metropolitan University that have just signed a letter, law students, to never have them hired at any law firm in Canada. All of a sudden, that becomes very clear that this is a man that's literally supporting this level of violence and horrific, horrific munitions being dropped on, on such a small part of the world. And, and then it makes sense. And it's so easy for us to get our heads turned around and for things to make no sense because it's so horrible. It is. And, you know, just a final thing to maybe say before we, we get into, you know, our, our regular thank yous and then into the into the to the discussion tonight, like the the I just I cannot stress enough how important it is that right now you, you try to find um, a varied amount of news sources and be re- really mm-hmm. critical about what you are reading. I, fuck, I was listening to a news report at some point this week that claimed that uh, the Palestinians control the Rafa crossing. Right, um, and yeah. It was, them, it was them who was not opening it up. And this is like, it was, I can't remember exactly which publication it was, but it was a reputable publication. And I was like, how, <laughs> just, you know, like when, when you were reading um, Western news, just be really critical and thoughtful and remember a few things. Right now in, in Gaza, uh, you know, the electricity, electricity has been shut off. And that means access to getting information out is very limited. And on, on the other side of this war, Israel has not only the opportunity to, uh, to, to make sure that their message gets out in whatever channel that they want, they also have uh, allies in some of the most powerful governments um, around the world. And we do know that um, the U.S. government lies, and we know that the Israeli government lies. That is, uh, like, like, affirmed and, and has happened multiple times over our past. And so you have to think about whatever information that you're receiving in that light. Even, even when you're hearing information about something like death tolls, understand that 
um, for 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 people who are trying to report out of Gaza, like even getting accurate numbers is really difficult right now. And and so, you know, read as much as you can. But just, you know, when you when you're going into something, be be really, really critical um, about the information that you're reading, especially if it's coming from sources like <laughs> fuck in Canada. Unless maybe it's an aura. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, this is where I, I am reading as much as I can from the Middle East. I'm reading a lot of Al Jazeera, which is a, a, you know, a channel that is very trustworthy and that has ethics related to journalism. I also read... And has been, and has banned. been banned. It has. I believe that Israel <laughs> has banned That's Al Jazeera. Right. Yeah, and they're trying Jesus. to make it impo- impossible for Al Jazeera to report. And they're really. I mean, there are other international news agencies that have presence in Gaza, but Al Jazeera is really one of the one of the big ones. Um, I do try to read the Times of Israel to see what the narrative inside of Israel is. It's very um, interesting, and I think that's more of a right wing newspaper. So you know, you can read that knowing that. Um, but you're right about the Canadian perspective on all of this. It's so thin. It's so hollow. I, I, I mean, there were millions of people around the world who marched this past weekend. And last night when I was preparing for the Daily News on Monday morning, I didn't see a single article about a single event in Canada. And I went through CBC's website. I went through CTV's website. And I went through Global's website. Um, there's like... I think that what's happening in the press right now is that they know that they can't cover this with the normal bias that gives Israel the benefit of the doubt because it is so bad. And so it's just easier to not cover it. It's just easier to pull back entirely and to not really cover it. And instead, what you have are these articles like how to explain the Hamas-Israel war to children, which is an article that I've seen on all platforms. And it's like, who, sorry, who the fuck needs help with that? Like, you're an adult, figure it out. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Um, but, but that's not, that's oh not reporting. God. What we actually need is, is reporting. And Sandy, I don't know if you saw on Saturday night, but, you know, the Canadian government officially said that they believe Israel's line over bombing the Al-Hada hospital, which is just, I think, so I did wild. see that. I did see that. Yeah. So... Yeah. We will get into all yeah. of this a little bit more, um, but before, let's do some house cleaning, housekeeping. Sandy, we're heading to Winnipeg. <laughs> we are heading to Winnipeg, and I'm so excited. You know, you know what's interesting, Nora, is I um, last week uh, the the documentary that I've been working on, Black Life, was released, and I did CBC syndication. Have you done that before? Where you're like, you're like on on every, like a whole bunch of radio stations from coast to coast for hours. Sandy, I did a CBC syndication on May 1st for May Day and every single station had me on. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, so I... <laughs> amazing, but it sucks. Yeah, it totally sucks, especially if you live on the West Coast because the day starts at 3 a.m. <laughs> the day starts at 3 a.m. and you go until 6 a.m. Um, to go across the country. Um, but in any case, when I got to Winnipeg, uh, the producer who was setting me up before I went on uh, the show was like, I love your podcast with Nora. I'm a big fan. And, you know, uh, I hope you guys come to Winnipeg at some point. And I was like, we are literally coming to Winnipeg (laughs) at the end of November. Um, So that was a really fun conversation. But at least, you know, there's going to be one excited person there. (laughs) Hey, I know there's going to be more than one. So you can get your tickets at thepointofsale.com. 
It's the same place that we were selling the Toronto tickets. I think it's probably the only event in Winnipeg. So just look up Winnipeg. Um, tickets are $35 for general admission. We're getting better at learning these platforms. And so unlike the Toronto so show, sorry, folks in Toronto learning as we're going along, there are three levels of ticket prices. So there is a youth price for people under the age of 18 and there's an unwaged price. So you just have to go to the point of sale, pick the ticket that fits best for you. November 24th, it's a Friday night at the West End Cultural Center. I hear that there's 400 seats there. So that's how many tickets are going to be on sale. And we are so excited to bring with us again, John Camille Farah to do some ah, music. So exciting. And yes, that's right. It is John Camille Farah. A few people have asked us to say his name on the podcast again. Um, but you know what is even better is that uh, his name is always on our website because <laughs> um, John Camille Farah did the uh, opening and closing um, songs to uh, a theme song to this podcast. So you can always find information about uh, who he is. Uh, you know, if you if you Google him, but on our website, if you forget his name and you need it, it's on our website. That's right. And uh, is it time for some gratitude? Time for some gratitude. Let's get into some of that before all of this the sad stuff that we need to return. Too. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you so much to everybody that's donated to the podcast in the last couple of weeks. We super appreciate it. Of course, we didn't get to do shout outs last week because we are in Toronto and I uh, hope that you folks enjoyed the live show, the recording of the live show. It's always fun to listen to the live dynamism with a room and an audience and some applause and laughter. Um, and you know what? We never say this, but I'm going to say it. If you've never donated to us or you haven't donated to it in a, in a couple of years, Go to patreon.com, Sandy and Nora, slash Sandy and Nora. That's our Patreon. You can donate any amount of money that you'd like. It all helps us out. It helps us do these live shows. It pays Sandy and I a little bit of money, which is great. Um, doesn't pay us very, very much, in case you're wondering. We can always get more. Um, but um, but that's, that's really wonderful. And it is through the Patreon at Sandy and Nora that you are able to do this. So... Thank you so much for everybody that has donated for the first time or changed their donation in the last two weeks because we have been off, especially to SP, Daniel, Denise, Fraser, E, Zaid, Julia, Christy, Ian, Sylvain, and Dawn. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much. Uh, okay, Nora, what's going on this week? Yeah, so we the biggest news in the world is is Israel's uh, horrific attack, historic attack uh, in many ways on Palestine, on Gaza. Of course, they've also been raiding the West Bank as well. And so, while casualties in the West Bank are not what they are in Gaza, they uh, they are climbing. I believe the latest death toll has deaths at over 5,000 people. And uh, that's going to be, those numbers are going to be impacted by the fact that there's no electricity, that rec rescue uh, capacities are majorly diminished, that people are dying in hospital for, you know, injuries and stuff they sustain from these bomb bombings. And so that's all we know is, is 5,000 people at some level, at least 2,000 children have been killed. And there's a political consensus that has emerged in Canada, you know, from the beginning of this, that this is still within Israel's right to do, that Israel is simply protecting itself from Gaza or Israel's avenging itself in light of the Hamas attacks that happened two weeks ago. And, you know, sure, I mean, you know, almost a million people were killed in Iraq after um, the justifications were made that there was connections to 9-11. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people died in Afghanistan for the same reason. And so here we are 
years later, and it seems like the same scripts are running again, it, right to the point where uh, in the United States, I saw that someone has said this is the new axis of evil. It's Russia, China, and Iran, as if none of us remember 2001. <laughs> so in Canada, what that has meant is a unanimous, unanimous support for Israel, right from, uh, of course, all of our politicians that have any power uh, down through columnists like Andrew Coyne, who has been consistently like, you know, supporting Israel, uh, Robin Urbach, who turned this into, well, if there was a Holocaust killing Jews, I'd know that who would actually have my back, which was like, what the what hell the are you fuck? talking about, Robin Urbach? I know who you's back you won't have uh, when massive crises are happening. And, um, and so in this environment in Canada, uh, that has left very, very little space to credibly speak out. And it's all been marginalized into the streets, into these massive rallies that we're seeing in cities and towns all over Canada. That are then like not, as you said, just like not being reported on. It's just, it feels like so uh, ridiculous. And, you know, some of the other things that have been happening, like I just can't, like it is, it is, it is more palatable uh, to be against this war, it seems, uh, in Israel than in Canada right now. <laughs> Um, as you know, people within even the Knesset have have been critical in a way that you know uh, people here are not. It feels as though people are not allowed to be here, or at least it's it's not happening in the same way. Today, um, the government in the U.S. has said that this is not the time for a ceasefire, <laughs> and my God, hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced. Hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced. Like people are going to be forever changed by this. People and their families uh, forever changed by this. For I just like I, I, I can't understand how you look at um, the verifiable reports as to what's happening um, and and just Respond as as many people in uh, in Canadian society have been uh, responding, and so uh, today I think what's what's what we're going to talk about is is some of some of that stuff. Um, how what you might be feeling, maybe even like perhaps uh, there's a corollary in your own life, and what some of the options are of of how you can respond. What what should be happening? What what can we do in these moments? Yeah. So let's take a survey of the landscape right now. There are very, very few people, high profile people in Canada who've spoken out in support of Palestine. In fact, I'm actually thinking you can count on two hands the number of people. Very few people from the business world uh, all, at all. I think I've seen one, um, the owner of Paramount Fine Foods, I saw saying something. But other than that, it's been pretty much uniformly in favor of uh, the narrative that the government is pushing. And people who have spoken out, there have been some job losses. There have been job job losses already. There is a, a pilot for Air Canada, Mustafa Etzo, who was fired for being at a rally that was pro-Palestinian. Dr. Ben Thompson, who's a doctor at the McKenzie Richmond Hill Hospital, he was fired for supporting Palestine, which in case anyone is wondering about the doctor shortage in this country, it is not so severe in the minds of management and government that they can't get rid of doctors with whom they disagree. Then there are uh, folks uh, who are ostensibly on the left, uh, people in labor and people uh, within the NDP. 
And the most recent major attacks uh, have been two that uh, I've seen pretty closely. One is Fred Hahn, who's the president of CUPE Ontario. Fred, uh, a lot of people thought that he was going to have to resign as president of QB Ontario because of the backlash for him to have the audacity to support Palestinian human rights, which is something he has supported for many years. And um, the QP National Convention is on right now. And so that's a huge theme at the convention is Fred himself and what should be done. And there's attempts to try to impeach him and all this. And then there's Sarah Jama, who is the, the newest member of provincial parliament in Ontario. She's, I think, the youngest, if not one of the youngest or the youngest member of provincial parliament, certainly the youngest in the caucus in the NDP. And Sarah put out a pretty reasoned statement a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, three or two days after the Hamas attack, and said that, you know, that, that, that Palestine is under occupation of Israel, and that's part of the context and blah, blah, blah. And she was forced to apologize, and Doug Ford served a motion against her to censure her. And today, we're recording this on Monday, Sarah was censured. So she's not allowed to speak in the uh, Legislative Assembly, and she's not allowed to be on committees. And the NDP kicked her out of caucus and said that they did so because she did things that they hadn't agreed to. They She surprised them, was the exact language. And that she's made thing, things unsafe for the staff that work in the Ontario NDP's office, which is like pretty, pretty, pretty bullshit considering like the threats that she's getting as a result of the attacks from the Ontario NDP and from Doug Ford are like a million times worse than anyone is experiencing in the ONDP office for sure. But it just shows the extent that Zionist sentiment that Zionism has or the pull that it has over our political establishment. And it's so funny because it's like it goes unnoticed if you're not paying attention to this world. If you are paying attention to this world, you see it all the time. But if this is the first time that you're really realizing to the extent that we are wrapped up with the Zionist project in a completely different country, um, it can probably feel pretty jarring. And it's it's for me like it is stunning how cowardly people are. I mean, there have been more than 20 journalists killed in Gaza. Something like 23 is the number right now from the Canadian Committee to Protect Journalists. I haven't seen a single... Unfucking believable. I haven't seen a single journalism group in this country, whether union or a federation or association, condemn that other than my own union, the Canadian Freelance Union. It's like, even that we can't do because what? You're afraid of what? Who? What? You're afraid of what? Exactly. You afraid of being made a pariah, of losing everything? I mean, certainly that's that's the threat that we're seeing playing out with Sarah Jama, which is horrible. And so if that's the threat, then of course the question is, well, then what is the defense or what is the reaction and how do we start pushing against this so that no longer becomes threatening? Yeah, I'm also um, seeing this situation that's happening at uh, York University where all of... Yeah, all of the students' unions had put out a statement uh, after um, October 7th, and the the university has responded to say that um, they will no longer recognize them if they don't retract that statement, I believe, uh, by, I think, this week. And, and also, uh, the, the, in the provincial legislature, they have, like, named the students who are a part of uh, the executive that have put out um, this statement. And 
Uh, like it just there is a lot of reprisal uh, in this country that is allowed for a country in which you know apparently we're supposed to have uh, freedom of speech and it's it's bizarre too that you know for so long uh, we we have those of us on the left have been responding to um, campaigns about free speech from from people on the right that weren't real that weren't really about free <laughs> free speech and now all the free speech issues are happening like right now really clearly in front of our faces and there's there there's not much that's that's being said about it and it seems like folks are not n- not concerned about it and that is also a very bizarre disorienting uh, thing to be experiencing, and so you know, I think one thing that I uh, that I'll you know reiterate that I said at our live show is that you know when you do take these steps, these moments, um, when you take these efforts uh, at uh, at expressing solidarity, there there will be consequences. There are going to be consequences, especially from folks uh, for whom um, it, it benefits them for, for this conflict um, to, to be supported, either politically or financially or whatever, what have you. There will be consequences. And so for, for folks who are paying attention to this and are, are nervous and feeling like they can't, they can't speak out, one of the things to ask yourself um, about is is like what what are you nervous about and what risks can you sustain what what risks are you willing to sustain in the face of a genocide and um, and doing as much as you can to organize the people around you to support you in whatever solidarity efforts um, you are you are engaging in um, to minimize as much risk as possible but we should all expect we should expect that you know, much like the 9/11 era, um, and it's very similar to today. That you know, back then, if you if you were saying things that that <laughs> seemed like it was against being like patriotic or some bullshit or supporting the United States, you know, people were you could find yourself um, in a lot of like heated arguments or people calling you. Um, uh, things that didn't make any sense in an in an internet world, some of those uh, risks can seem heightened, and uh, there there will be risks. There will be responses to what you say. If those responses are coming from um, from your opponents, perhaps those responses are worth it. Perhaps that's something that you can sustain. Perhaps that's something that you should expect. Perhaps that's something that you should prepare for. I don't think we should expect that solidarity is something that you just say and it's easy and you just move on with your day because you've kind of shown other people that you're a good person. It it, it is going to be more difficult than that. And these are some difficult questions that that folks uh, should should ask themselves. The other thing that I uh, would say is um, is is to think about like some of those demands that are coming from from people who are responding to some of these actions that folks are taking. So you know, retracting a statement, making an apology. The state, the, the retractions and the apologies, they don't do anything. They never ever do 
anything. Like really, really critically think about what it is going to be doing. You're, you're appeasing someone perhaps who's got a position of power or a, a, a body of people who have a position of power who are asking you, saying, telling you, trying to make you move in a place that they, don't, they know you don't believe, you know you don't believe, and anybody watching knows that you don't believe. So what is the point in doing it? <laughs> it, it never does anything except for to p- put the person who is in power to give them more power, to make sure that they know that they are in the powerful position. Just just eat it. <laughs> you said it. Eat it. Own it. Own it. Be proud of the state statements that you make. Like this is this is political strategy 101. And this is actually what makes me most despair about the state of the Ontario NDP, because it's like obviously the people leaving leading this party like they have no idea how to be politically strategic, clearly, because if you're apologizing for a political position that you know is popular, and let's say it's popular enough to get someone elected in Hamilton Center, then you are alienating your support and your opponents who are forcing you to apologize will never support you. It is a zero sum game that I cannot believe anybody working full time in politics thinks it's a good idea. There's no good that comes out of it. And we can see that clear as day in this situation. And so if you are finding yourself in this situation and you have some piece of shit hanging over your head saying, hey, you got to apologize for these comments that are fair, that are reasoned, that are true, that yes, Israel is an apartheid state. And yes, what they're doing is unacceptable. And yes, the international community needs to stand up to Israel and stop its complete obliteration or attempts at obliteration of Palestine. Like then know what is happening here, that you've got someone who is spineless with zero strategic sense at all, zero political strategic sense at all, that they're probably not qualified for the job that they're holding. And that will make it worse. That will make it worse. And it feeds the opponents more content. So let's look at, you know, Joel Harden. So Joel Harden is, an, is a member of provincial parliament in Ontario as well. I have not seen Joel say very much in this stuff, which I am very surprised by. And honestly, like, so disappointed by it. I don't, I don't, I don't actually care what the justification for being silent is right now. There is no justification. I don't care. Like it's unacceptable. Anybody in that caucus that's progressive needs to say something. But he was accused of being anti-Semitic because he asked, he said that he'd asked his Jewish friends to weigh in or have an opinion on Israel. And that is, uh, you know, was, was, was explained to be an anti-Semitic trope to say that Jews Like you expect Jews to have an opinion on Israel. Now, when it comes to this, of course, when everything's flipped around, then of course, of course, the attack on Israel is attack on all all Jews in Canada, which is what we've heard many, many times from many people. But it doesn't work when it's Joel Harden doing it. And so he says this, which is also a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, don't say that. But he then apologizes for saying it after pressure for apologizing, to apologize. And what's the result? Now... His opponents are like, he's admitted to being anti-Semitic because here's his apology. And the apology gets waved around. And it's like, why did you do that to yourself? You don't need to give your opponents more ammo against you. You do not. They've got a lot because they hate you, because they hate what you stand for. And so, like, that's another piece in this is we have to be very strategic. And strategic means not staying silent necessarily, but finding ways that we can speak out that are the most effective possible. And I think, Sandy, like, I would love to hear what you think about this too, but I feel like people 
have not actually had to perform solidarity in a long time because the left is in such tatters that the second that solidarity comes with a bit of a price, there are so many people that are like, whoa, 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 this is too hot for me. I'm going to just get out of the kitchen for a little bit. Yeah. And gosh, you know, (laughs) you, you know that I have had, you and I both have had not to, you know, um, indict you on this too, have had (laughs) critiques about, about, um, some of the ways that like, the sort of like the idea of like self-care rhetoric or like, you know, uh, the individualized way that we think about taking care of one another has really been demobilizing. And I think that the the like acceptable language around, you know, what folks are able to do and, and are, are not able to do vis-a-vis like our feelings, our individual feelings um, uh, is a part of this because it's like an accepted um, uh, justification on the left for 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 not doing things. And there was a world, there was a time when that was fully unacceptable. And I think I like that time better, <laughs> to be honest. I I mean, the, there's there's like an importance in in um, having a discussion about like uh, I don't know accessibility, sure, in that. But not, I, I do think critically we should be looking at the ways that some of the, the cultures that we have uh, embedded on the left have been demobilizing and how they are used in moments like these um, to, to stop people from, from, from understanding that, yes, solidarity isn't, isn't charity. It's not a gift. It's not you reaching into your pocket and giving someone some money and remaining unchanged. That's not what it is. <laughs> it's, it doesn't work that way. And so, like, thinking about, you know, student unions right now and thinking about, you know, our own time at students' unions, I just hope, I just hope that folks aren't seriously considering, um, you know, kowtowing to, to what... Um, York University and the fucking government are saying, like, by by writing those letters, you should have been aware that this was something that could happen. And uh, if you weren't, you, you know, you know now. So here we are. And <laughs> you should education. be ready. <laughs> Very fast education. You should be ready to take those people to court. That it's, is what you should be doing on, on your end as a free speech thing. At the same time, you should have um, your, the next steps in your solidarity campaign figured out because, quite frankly, this isn't about you. It's, it's not about you. You, you, you need to, to fight that fight and continue to use the power that you do have um, the the space that you have garnered, like in in the news, the the little spaces you've been able to carve out, to to continue to make the demands that need to be made, and you should be organizing with student organizations around the fucking world on this, around the fucking world, anywhere that there are students unions, um, with the exception of maybe the United States. <laughs> anywhere else that there are students unions students are going to be active on this issue and are looking for uh, international solidarity partners and ways to support one another 
And now is where the work begins. Once you put out the statement, you know, we, we talked um, previously about how the statement can't be the only thing. Now is when the work begins. Like you need to, 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 um, to, to, to keep going to keep pushing, to keep fighting. You know, it, politically, if, if some of the stuff that's happening and is not happening, I'm seeing that, um, uh, you know, there's a bunch of MPs who have signed a letter asking for uh, Justin Trudeau to, to call for a ceasefire, and now Jagmeet Singh is asking for a meeting to call for a ceasefire. It's like, okay, these are things that can happen sure it's it's taking it, what what those things are really doing is telling us where those people stand in this in this um in this uh, conflict in this fight who they are it would be great to see more organizing can you set up um some coalitions with other lawmakers elsewhere in the world and what can you do with that sort of power um and and if you know if you're experiencing some um, some for frustrations within your party. Maybe it's time to do something new, <laughs> you know, like maybe, uh, you know, this is a moment to make sure that those of us who are anti-war in the country have uh, have some like a party someplace in the legislature, some some political space uh, to to vote for, to to fucking um to support something, but like all of these moments, you know, this, this solidarity, like, gosh, like that would be a hard thing to do to build a new political body that is going to, um, have, uh, international influence and is going to call for the right things in this, in this time period that will, if anyone is going to try to do that, that will require sacrifice and it will be the right thing to do. Both of those things are true. But also let's like talk about this moment. I actually, I mean, I have very little faith in Israel to just stop on its own. I have faith. I have very little faith in the West to stop Israel. I do have faith in this, in these millions of people who are protesting around the world for Palestine to be free. And that gives me a lot of hope. But I also have a lot of hope that this moment is actually paradigm shifting. Yes, This is a paradigm shifting moment. And the far right, you know, like Christ, Trudeau is part of an alliance that includes a literal fascist from Italy that's going to intervene somehow and support Israel to do what it's doing. They know very well that the winds on this question have shifted, that, that there are far more people that see the occupation for what it is than for what the PR machine of the Israeli government wants us to see it to be. And I think that that gives us a lot of power. And in any paradigm shift moment, it means that we have to seize the moment. How many people felt that that something big was going to happen during COVID and no one seized the moment? There was no union that led a huge charge. No one. Everybody waited. Everybody waited. And so here we have a new moment. We have people we can rally around and need to rally around, like Sarah Jama, like Fred Hahn, like people who've lost their jobs for the statements that they've taken. And this is actually an organizing opportunity to push that paradigm shift. Because if we are going into the streets and saying free Palestine, because we want Palestine to be free, that is a political demand for which our government will not do unless they have a gun to their head. And so how do we 
metaphorically do that to our government. We build movements and we build solidarity and we take risks. And through doing these things, they snowball into new kinds of political culture. And so it can start as simple as statements of support for Sarah or for Fred or, or, or condemnations of the government. It can start with your union being the one to, 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 to pay for the, the generators at the rally so that there's a solid sound system at the next rally. It can be as simple as making sure you have a delegation out and people can meet each other around that delegation at the next action or organizing a speaking event or going to a speaking event or building around a Palestinian resistance within your own communities and, and hearing what they want uh, the international community to do or to say or to know about what's going on in Gaza. Because it's the other thing is that we don't have solid information on what is happening in Gaza. And so Palestinians in Canada with connections to Gaza are so critical to be letting us know what is happening based on what they're hearing from their family to help us round out what we're not hearing in the press. And so during any massive paradigm shifting moment, the forces of evil will be pushing further and further and further to the right towards destruction and towards death. And we have to be doing every single thing that we can to be pushing in the opposite direction for the forces of ending this occupation and doing everything possible to try and get Canada, at least our little part of the world, to put pressure on Israel to stop what they're doing. And we cannot just wait for the bodies to pile up and say, maybe at 10,000 dead, maybe at 10,000 dead, the Canadian Labour Congress is going to make a statement. Maybe at 50,000 dead, QP National is going to make a statement. Maybe at 100,000 dead, Doug Ford will no longer pass motions in favor of Israel supporting its right to self-defense. That's not good enough. We can't wait. There's no time to wait at all. The urgency is now.